Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clap, slap, slap. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through their mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to Les Différents Podcasts de Frappe. A light-hearted look at Arsenal with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend... Bradley Adams. Do it. What's that? It's from Star Wars. I don't know why it popped into my head in, in just in that moment. Is that Count Dooku? No. no. Not, oh, Pe- uh, Pemperer Alpatine. What's his name? Yes, Emperor Palpatine. Pemperer Alpatine. I've just woken up, Brad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether that was like a Freudian slip or on purpose. But <laughs> I, I started saying Pemper and then just committed. I was like, "You committed to it." Do you know what? I have respect for that. Uh, me and Brad went to start recording uh, about forty minutes ago, and uh, I woke up to a text saying, "You coming, mate?" So uh, <laughs> apologies for that, Brad. I, uh, oh, it's all right, mate. I've got an easy day today. That's Always nice. make time for you. Oh, that's kind. I feel special. Uh, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, a little uh, annoyed about some news that we'll discuss later, but other than that... What's the news? Well, I mean, I'll ask you how you are first, and then we'll segue, shall we? No, but... Uh, how when are the, you? Is this the convention? You have to do the convention. Yeah, I am I am, I am good. I have I'd, to check I'd love, in. I'd love one day for a podcast, for two, two podcasts I have to go, how are you? And one of them goes... Yeah, it's really bad, man. Like, and then just goes off into diatribe. The dogs died, you know. The the nans got the, the nans ill. Like, and and really answer that question. I think I actually a lot of podcasts don't do it. Maybe we should just not do it, Brad. Yeah, but it feels it feels rude to start recording and not ask you how you are. How are yeah, you? We listeners? always ask. We always ask each other how we are before we start recording, and then again. Well, I feel like people should listen. To, I don't know. I quite like it. It, feel, it feels like an opening it's quite of a conversation. Nice. It's, it's become, yeah, it's become part of it. Yeah. And often what you do is you go, how are you? Yeah, good. Oh, annoyed about the Arsenal. And then you and then you jump into it. Yeah, and then you, whew. Right, let's stop deconstructing podcasts and actually do right, one. Yeah, uh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Um, the news I'm annoyed about is the England call-ups. Um, how on earth has Harry the Fridge Maguire got into the England squad over Ben White? How on earth has Tyrone Mings got in over... I've got the, the list in front of me. Tyrone Mings got in over White. Connor Cody. Jesse Lingard, who hasn't played for Manchester United in what feels like nine years, is in, in over Smithrow, who's He's got not, more no, goals and assists. Lingard's not in. Lingard's not playing. I thought he was. No. Because there was a the whole thing about how Jadon Sancho and teammates, Jesse Lingard, aren't in. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's just, it's stupid. Um, and it's a, it's just another reason that it just shows why Gareth Southgate just shouldn't, shouldn't be in the England job. Just shouldn't. 
we're throwing it's again we're throwing away a golden generation on a on a Sven Goran Eriksson. Do you know what? Who. Do you know what I think uh, Southgate reminds me of? He reminds me a little bit of Wenger in his late years. Like a se- he seems like a very good manager. Like he was talking about his reasons why he didn't pick Smith Rowe and stuff, and he wants to introduce them at the right time, and it's difficult to put them back in the under twenty ones once you've caught them up. And I, and I kind of get it. And I think the players love him. I think there's like a real respect for him. But I just think like he need we need a coach who's going to be able to coach this group of players and put them in the best system that they could possibly be in. I think Southgate's a very good sort of overall manager, kind of director of football type, you know, sort of director of football communications type level. I just, I've never been convinced. I've never thought, I've never looked at South, a Southgate team and thought, brilliant, genius. Oh, the way he's inverted the left back, the way he's dropped Sterling into the half space. I've never, no one's ever watched that. It's very, no. it's very simple, which is, which is, you know, Fine, and it's on some level, on some well, level, inter- internationals, it's fine to be simple. But I just, I've never. I think there's more. Th- I, I think if you could keep Southgate in the setup and bring in a coach, it would be perfect. Yeah, and I, here's the thing: like Southgate is the reason we lost the Euro final. We were crying out for subs before they scored. Nothing. He's too. What was the stat that came out after the game? No country was worse when it came to how their game plan basically changed post-scoring or something. About how like we basically, yeah, we basically score and then we do nothing. We just defend. Okay. Um, uh, We were crying out for substitutes. Um, I mean, I don't think I can uh, uh, blame him for the whole penalty debacle because uh, at the end of the day, You've got to make those decisions in those moments that you think are best and and that's what you, you kind of live or die off of. But tactically throughout the tournament, we were never particularly special off what what was our first difficult test. Germany wasn't a particularly difficult test. Um, our first difficult test was the Danes and they nearly knocked us out and then we obviously lost in the final. I love uh, The same you, thing happened. Uh, you know what you say? I love that you can remember this. I honestly, I was either too drunk or too nervous to actually remember the games. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then what was it? Um, yeah, the, the Italy in the final were nothing particularly special, and then we just allowed them to to grow into the game and dominate. And it, it's decisions like this that throw out any idea which England should be that it's a meritocracy and it's based off of how you're playing because. Listen, I think Raheem Sterling is is a supreme footballer. I, me and Alex have very differing opinions on what makes a player world class. I'm very hesitant to call a player's world class. Um, but I think Sam Johnston, world class. Jordan Pickford, world class. <laughs> ben Chilwell. <laughs> but he's definitely a top level player. But he's not playing for his his club. Yeah, why is he in? And it's this isn't also this isn't a tournament eleven. I think we have to remember that if this is the tournament eleven, and you go, okay, well, he's not playing for his club, but it's Raheem Sterling. I'd be like, fair enough, but it's for fucking qualifiers. It's for San Marino as well. Yeah, this is the time to like really find out what if Smithrow can make that step up, experiment against these clubs, which he can. I mean, he's got more goals and assists than Ziyech, Mount, and I think it's. Uh, Havertz put together and Grealish and Grealish you know he's performing brilliantly this was the time to really give him his chance and you do start to disenfranchise people 
when you don't call them up. Uh, imagine you're Ben White and you're watching Tyrone Mings get dropped for relegation-threatened Aston Villa and you can't get in the squad over him. Yeah, the the Ben White one annoys me more because I, I think the Smith-Rowe... The Smith-Rowe Smith Rowe's young. He's he's like, young. He could be in the Relatively young in his career, yeah. And I, under, I at least understand Southgate's reasoning, even if I don't agree with it. With Ben White, I'm like, you're playing Connor Cody over Ben White. Really? And also, when you look at that, when you look at the group of centre-backs, Connor Cody, Harry Maguire, Tyron Mings, John Stones, like, John Stones is probably the only player who can really play out from the back, who's really got that ability to drive forward, and he's not playing for City. So, I don't know. I think I think it kind of, it creates a certain type of centre-back that they want, which is a Everyone bit... seems to think that Harry Maguire does that, but what Harry Maguire does is trudges forward with the ball for 40 yards and then passes it to Luke Shaw. He's not exactly breaking the lines in the same way. Depends. <laughs> he drives forward or he trudges forward. <laughs> depends, who you, depends who you support. But I, I think I do think there's there's a there's a skill set there that Ben White has that the other players don't have. Anyway, fuck yeah. England. Fuck England. Fuck them. Fuck them. How are you, Brad? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, other than that, I'm really quite good. good. I'm feeling good about uh, uh, feeling good about the Arsenal. Yeah, the, well, uh, let's. But, so we've got some hot takes we want to we want to cover today, which I'm very I'm very excited about. Um, uh, I'm 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 aware the Conti appointment is looming large. I'm I'm told, and I was I was I was told by the person who's doing it uh, that he has included Conti in the in the in the takes. So we will come to Conti. The only other thing really is uh, is the Watford game on Sunday. Um, I'm going to be there with my friend Adam as a yes, sort of birthday treat. Looking forward to that. Um, yeah, I I think... Hope to see you on the telly. On the terraces. Singing the Tottenham song. Can we stop doing that? Yeah, please. Please. It's actually infuriating. How many times was it when we were at the Leeds game? Like, I'm going to say, I think it was like Ooh. eight times in the first half. It's like, minimum, me. Minimum. Guys. It's it's almost a self irrelevant club as well. Like, they are so irrelevant and we are fe- we are feeding them the scraps of relevance that they get by singing about them. Oh, and I, di- and I didn't put sugar in my tea, Brad. Fuck's sake. Oh, um, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, I just, it, it annoys me. Anyway, um, let's not get sidetracked by Spurs because they're a relevant club. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, all the cliches should beat them, should get the three points. But these are the types of games, especially when we've had a week to prepare that we should be controlling. I think that's that's the key. We should we should win this. And I think we would have won this nine times out of ten in most Premier League seasons. But I I do I do I am concerned slightly. Or I'm more concerned with the performance, not completely, but more than I would be normally because I I want to see a performance. I want to see a, mm. a control, and I want to see a a. Um, I don't want it to feel like well we're playing Watford and we get caught out on the counter. I want to see as front footed as we have been. You know, getting three, four, hopefully, if we can, um, and having a good game because these are the types of games where we, where we, 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 we advance falter. the style. Well, we may, well, yeah, we may falter, but more to the point, we. Well, as in, just historically, we we take our foot off the gas and we don't treat it as seriously as maybe we should. But more, more to the point, what what I wanted to see really is a is a front footedness, is a is an attack, mm. is a is a not of feeling of this is a let off type game and yes that obviously goes into the idea that we 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 sometimes get caught out against these types of teams i think a lot of people do but you know we 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 are we are um part of that i we've had a week 
we've got players who are going on the international break. We haven't got that many players going away. Let's put in a fucking good performance. Let's learn more about mm. ourselves. Let's not, you know, let's 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 try something. If we're if we're two three up, let's try a different format. You know, like this is the type of game where we, we should be completely present. We're experimenting if we can, but but more to the point, putting in a fucking good performance. Yeah, um, I think for me, it's it's less important we score three than four, and it's more important that I see a real change in in stylistically how we're playing. We've seen kind of an uptick over the last three or four games in in the levels that we seem to be putting in. I think the less the game is a bit of a red herring in the sense that we performed both really well and then were really open for large periods. So. I think it's really important that we see a change. We need to really turn on the style in this game for me. I, I want to see a good performance. I don't care if it's a three or four nil victory. I don't care if we win one nil, but I want to see it. I want to see levels. I want to see the club at its best hmm. because these are the teams that you should be able to roll over. Yeah, these are the teams that that Liverpool spank. Uh, and turn on the magic against that we need to be, if we want to ever get to that level, at least be showing signs that we can do that now. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's such a cliche, but these are, these are the games you've got to win. And also, I've never lost when I've been to the Emirates. I've never seen this, I've not even seen this draw a game. I've never lost. So I've seen us saying. draw, I've never seen us lose. So what I'm saying, Brad, is I'm more of a lucky charm than you because it's all to do with me. Remember, this whole thing, life is about me, Brad. Yeah. Should we get on to the hot takes? Yeah, let's go for it, mate. Hot takes. Welcome back to Hot Takes. This is the show where we invite someone from our audience or one of our listenership or someone, a friend of the show, as it is today, uh, to provide us with their five hottest takes uh, Bradley and I will listen to them. Bradley and I will review them. Bradley and I will discuss them. And it's um, what it is. It's it's a it's a form of creating conversation for a podcast. That's what it is. I it's need a to form s- of giving us content. Yeah, that that is what it is, really. But hopefully, it should be interesting and, and enjoyable. Uh, and I'm excited to listen to the takes. I don't listen to them. I haven't listened to them. I'm aware Conte's in one of them. That is all I know. Uh, and okay. today we have uh, my friend and friend of the show. And whose the... voice you might recognise. Why? If you've been listening for a oh, while. Oh, I see. Right. I thought you were going to say he's on like a voiceover advert or something. Um, he, yes, he, Andy was uh, the host of our uh, Different Not Christmas special, which, by the way, is one of my favourite episodes we've ever done. We've got to do it again this Christmas. We definitely will. We definitely will. So look oh. out for that. Uh, but Andy, I'm sure will be back to host uh, the Christmas special part two. Uh, and let's hear his first take. You ready? Yeah. You ready? I am. Let's you ready? Go. Sure. Okay, so these are my hottest takes, going from coolest to hottest. Aaron Ramsdale should be made England number one as soon as possible so that he can get used to playing in the team by the time the World Cup comes in 2022. Yep. Agreed. I don't think it'll happen, though. Great. My second <laughs> take is... Arsenal are now favourites for the League Cup or should be seen as favourites due to their draw and the fact they have no European football distractions and it will be a disappointing season should they not at least get to the final. Okay, Arsenal are the favourites. It will be a disappointing season if we didn't win don't the, make the final. I don't think we're favourites. Who's still in it? Liverpool? Um, Liverpool? I don't are. think you can have a 
yeah, I don't think you can ever count them out. Chelsea I think if you get Liverpool. Well. Uh, I think we could beat Chelsea. We've beaten them a couple of times. And if Arteta does the smart thing and goes to the kind of three at the back, matching them up that we did in the FA Cup final, we might be able to pull a mad one. But then obviously they've got Tuchel now who could easily change the game. I think I'd see that as a bit of a throw of the dice more than I'd see a Liverpool win. I don't think we're favourites. I do think, I, I do agree, depending on draws, if we don't get to the final, that might be a bit disappointing. Because what, we've got Sunderland next. Is is the next round drawn as well? So the, the way ne- they do sometimes. Yeah, I uh, don't think so. So the quarterfinals are Arsenal-Sunderland, Brentford-Chelsea, Liverpool play Leicester and Tottenham play West Ham. If we knew what was coming, I'd be a little more confident at saying, oh, it would be a disappointment. I, I, I do think it would be disappointing if we don't at least reach the final because we have no European football, no other games to get up for. And we haven't really played a strong squad yet, as in we haven't played out a strong squad yet. So if we can get to the through this round and then into the semis and, and then play the first team 11 against a West Ham or someone. I agree with that. I don't think we're favourites though. I mean, look at Liverpool. They're just unbelievable. Yeah. And does he say, what did he, did he say it was, would be a disappointing season if we don't reach the final? And it would be a disappointing yes. season should they not at least get to the final. Okay. Um, I, okay. I, I, I don't know if it would be a dis- disappointing season. I would be disappointed considering... Well, it depends who we draw. It depends who we draw. It also depends what happens around the season. For example, if we don't reach the final, but we get fourth, that's not a disappointing season. I think think what I'd say is there's a great opportunity here, considering we don't have European football and considering Mm. Liverpool, Leicester and Chelsea... And even Spurs do do have, and all of them apart from Sunderland and, and uh, Brentford, all don't have uh, all have European football. Mm-hmm. I think we've got an opportunity there. I also think, considering the players who are pushing for minutes, considering the people who need to be impressing to get into the first team, the Carabao Cup is the type, and that's why I was so pissed off about the performance of Pepe in the in the in the Leeds game because it felt like a game he could grab with both hands. And he just mm. didn't. So I think that there's definitely an opportunity there. Obviously, we should beat Sunderland. Depends who we draw. I, I'm not sure it'll be a disappointing season. I also... The Carabao Cup, and people call it an irrelevant trophy. And I think in terms of its sort of, you know, do people look back at the end of their career and go, well, thank God I won that Carabao Cup. Not really. But what it can do is it can provide a a focus. It can provide an opportunity for certain players it can be, it's a good day out of Wembley and if you win, you win, you win, it, you know, it's good. Winning is nice, as we discussed in our last podcast. But I I don't know. I just, I, I think the problem is I don't see it as enough of it. Like, for example, it's not like, a, oh, if Mikel was under pressure at the end of the season, well, he's won the Carabao Cup. Like, I just see it as, it's so irrelevant to me. It doesn't save your job. It feels, save your job. it's like, so, so and, and therefore we have to, the point I'm trying to make is, therefore we have to apply that the opposite way, way around. If he doesn't win it, I'm not going to be like, fuck's sake. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, yeah. you can't apply it. You can't have it both ways. I think depending on the draw and because we have no European football, it would be a bit of a disappointment if we didn't at least impress and maybe get to the final. But I'm not bothered about it. I think it also brings into conversation about the Carabao Cup should probably be scrapped. What's the point in it? Yeah. You know, every, every team plays in the FA Cup. Why do we have a... a 
a third competition. We've seen it happen in, in France. I think it was the Coupe de la Ligue that got scrapped a couple of seasons ago, or it might have been the other one. They had um, they had two kind of just national cup competitions. Oh, right. They scrapped one of them because it, again, it just adds to the. Was it Coupe de Nationale? I think it might have been. <laughs> yeah, Coupe de Nationale. Yeah, it was one of them. Something like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think I'd care. I'd rather do well in the league, but I can see the the kind of methodology of thought there. It's a kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because there are fans mm. who would go, who would, if you won the Carabao Cup, they go, so what? Fucking, you know, done nothing. You know, who cares? Carabao Cup's relevant. And if you don't win the Carabao Cup, the same fans go, well, we should have won the Carabao Cup. We, you know, why can't we such a shit club? Like, it's, it, I don't know, it, if it, it, like, you can't, it's always a catch twenty two. It's always a catch twenty two, and and this kind of feeds into the, this is a slight tangent, but I think we should discuss it. I mm. saw I saw all yesterday on Twitter, and I sent to Brad someone saying that all the signing, like they did one of those sort of threads that are like, oh, the reason Mikel Arteta had a masterclass um, transfer window, and you know he did. He had a, the not just him, the recruitment team, Edu, Richard Garlic, the people who brought in the seven players. I think it is to the club had a fantastic summer. The players look really they good, did. right? But he said that all of the, or uh, the person said on Twitter, all, all of the signings were detested and scorned. And I was like, no, they weren't. That's just not true. It's just not true. And I think it's what we've, I know I've coined a phrase to, to sort of summarize this. It's results-based revisionism. And like, I think there is a lot of that. When things happen, we can be frustrated, we can be angry, but then sort of, the perceptions of things start to change of like, well, actually the FA Cup win was, wasn't that good. Or actually, you know, we didn't enjoy this. So actually the, the window was awful and it works the other way of when things are going well. He's generational, the transfer window, everyone doubted him. No one, no one supported any of the transfers. It's like, yes, they did. And I think something like the Carabao Cup really falls into that kind of results-based revisionism yeah. potential. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, it can be something that in the moment gets you, if it's all going well around 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 it, Mikel's winning trophies, here's a picture of my manager with, with, a, with a trophy. And then if it's going badly, well, you only won the Carabao Cup. So I don't know, it just, it feels a bit sort of cannon fodder, really. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, like last night, I agree with everything you say. I think... Um good everything everything has to be taken with with the kind of optics of what it is you there's no point you don't age or cause you just make yourself look like an idiot by going oh yeah you know because like the fa cup obviously means something but you can still mention the fact that the way that we won it wasn't in particularly stunning fashion we got through a lucky semi-final uh and then beat chelsea in the final like that is the truth but of course, no ma- winning a cup, no matter if if it was the Champions League and we played the same two performances in the semi-final, two legs, and then the final, no one would care. Um, but you could still kind of be like, well, this is just the truth of the situation. It's the same with the summer. The only transfer that was really kind of doubted uh, quite heavily was the Ramsdale one. There was a little bit of chatter about Ben White, uh, mainly from United fans. And you. Because I kept seeing on Twitter... United fans going, oh, you know, Arsenal fans are comparing him to Varane. I've never seen an Arsenal fan compare Ben White to Varane, ever. <laughs> like, it was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, And I think that was it. You know, there wasn't really a lot of chat about Nuno Tavares because there was nothing was to talk six, about. Six, seven, eight quid, yeah, whatever. Yeah. We didn't know him. 
Tommy Asu, we were really positive about when he came in. Um, Sambi looked who great. Who, Erdegaard, Sambi a bit of conversation. Great. Uh, Erdegaard, a bit of conversation maybe about Madison, but I don't think anyone could have really complained about paying half the price for Erdegaard, especially seeing as Madison isn't exactly lighting it up. Not that Erdegaard is, but it's less of a risk of investment. Uh, so yeah, it, it it's just silly, especially when something is, is as fresh in people's memories. Mm. Like it was literally three months ago. It's yeah. not like it, it, like it's not like it's been five years. Like a lot of people talk about Wenger now with a uh, with a type of nostalgia uh, and forgets the kind of latter stages of his career and a bit how kind of difficult it was. Kind yeah. of come the end where we were like, it's obvious this is no longer working and we need a change. Yeah. Uh, and they don't, they don't, they talk about it with, with the furore of, of kind of his peak era, which is fine, but that's just not the objective truth. This is literally three months ago. M- writing your gigantic threads just makes you look like an idiot <laughs> yeah. when we, we, we literally lived this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good. That's just Twitter, isn't it? But like, I think like the Wenger thing again, it's like the reason it's results based is like, if we're losing and we're, and we're, you know, seventh, eighth, get the Wenger table, in till the end of the season. <coughs> I'm sure someone said that. Um, I said that. I said that December. Do you not remember? On this podcast, I think I said in that December run, if he gets sacked, the wor- not it wouldn't be the worst idea to just bring Wenger in till the end of the season. Bradley, I, re- I regret to inform you, I'm I'm replacing you on the podcast. <laughs> um, it's just it's just gonna be me now talking to me, me playing you and me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to script the whole thing and just read two sides (laughs) of it. Um, Yeah, the the, the reason it's results-based is like, you know, if we're seventh or eighth something, Wenger was getting better results. So we, you know, we're we're thinking, you know, results provide the foundation for everything. And this is this is mm. the frustration when you're forming your arguments, whether it's things are going well or things are going badly, whatever. I do think there's a certain level of like people chucking out the baby with the bathwater. If we've lost a game, I see a lot of that's it, Mikel out. And I'm not saying you know shout, shouts that Mikel, Mikel should go with reason, like you know the, I don't see a style of play, but like, like fair enough. But you see a lot of I think I think a lot of football narrative, and especially in the mainstream, is a lot of like two games lost, is so-and-so the right man to take this club forward? It's like, how quickly do things change? And I, I, You have to look at the media you're consuming, though. That is talk sport. That is the kickoff. Yeah, that it's is, driving clicks, but I just... I, yeah. But then it, that does sort of permeate fan narrative. And I think we mm. all just have to be aware of... I, I have to be aware of it, of just, like, being cautious <laughs> around, like, mm. giving those judgments. because Because then we don't allow our enjoyment to be there i think a lot of people feel like they've been like thrown around like a rag doll it's like we're gonna go through periods and this with this season we're gonna go through periods of poor form that's going to happen and like you know are you gonna try and ride that out or are you gonna you know splash around and there's a time for splashing around but let's not revise things while we're doing it let's not mm. change things that happened while we're doing it on to the next one yeah let's go to the next one hot take number three Okay, so my third take, and they're starting to get a little bit hotter now. Oh. Antonio Conte arriving at Spurs gives them complete advantage in the race for the top four over Man U, Arsenal and West Ham. He is, you know, arguably the one of the best coaches in the world. And I think with their squad, 
they now have complete control over the top four race. So we're we're fairly unanimous on the before we come to that specific sort of putting it in the league. We said before the podcast, and it's similar to what we were just talking about. If football is hinged on the last two games and the next two games, basically, and for for Spurs, Conte is a great appointment for that because he'll win you the next two games. Mm. The problem is what happens six, 12, 18 months down the line. I think it's it's a question of, and I saw some people talking about this, is uh, risk versus reward. Uh, we're all Arsenal fans, so we, we love to just rag on Spurs and say how shit they are or whatever. But if you think really just honestly, Honest. what is the most that Conte is going to win? <laughs> what is the most that Conte is going to win that club? It's either going to be a Carabao Cup, an FA Cup or the Conference League. He doesn't traditionally do well in Europe. So I think in the Europa League or the Champions League, he's just not going to win it for them. So the reward is an FA Cup. Now, obviously, they've gone 5,000 days without a trophy. That will be big for Spurs fans. But if you look at what's going to happen to their club. 5,000 days. 5,000 days. It's incredible. Well done. Shut up. If you look at what's going to happen to that club in the meantime, it's very, very bad. The likelihood is, is Carrie... Yeah, Carrie Hayne, Harry Kane leaves in the summer. He'll have two years left on his deal. (laughs) He'll have two years left on his deal. Uh, I don't think this appointment's going to convince him to stay because even though he might win them an FA Cup, there's no guarantee of success. Um, And then uh, Conte will spend that money as he does on 29-year-olds and 32-year-olds coming in to bring instant success. And let's say he stays just for the 18 months. By the end of that 18 months, the Harry Kane money's gone. All of their sellable assets like Mora, Son will be aged. I think Son's 29 now. So he'll be kind of 31. Uh, Mora will be kind of older. Lloris will probably have retired. And then you're looking at that club going, they've just built a billion pound stadium that they're still trying to pay off. They've got no real sellable assets to help fund a new project and they will be at square one. The smarter move for Spurs would have been to hit the reset button now because they're not going to win the league. They're not going to win the Champions League. They're not going to win the Europa League. And I think there is a chance they win a cup. It's never a guarantee. The smarter thing would have been to sell Harry Kane in the summer, get a good project manager in, like um, try for Potter, get Potter in and say, look, we're getting 110 million pounds in the summer for Kane. We're not going to sell anyone else. Here's an extra 50, build the squad in your image and let's move forward from there. They might have some instant success. In 18 months time, we will be talking about this as a bad decision by Tottenham Hotspur. In the same way that we, we we spoke about Jose going there because, again, people talk about the Tottenham way or the to dare is to do or whatever. Tottenham or like, we are Tottenham. Tottenham are nothing. Like, Harry Kane has built that club by being such a good footballer for a couple of years. 
after Harry Kane leaves, if there is no success, who's going to want to go there? They can't pay you a lot of money because they're in ridiculous amounts of debt. They can't pay a lot of money for you. At least Arsenal have a history of winning trophies and of winning the league. And we've won FA Cups very recently. This has the potential to damage Spurs as a club for the next five to 10 years in a time where another European Super League could come about and Spurs could easily be replaced by a Leicester or a West Ham yep, or Newcastle. Yep. It's... And- and everyone's got a shiny yeah. new stadium these days. You got you got to look at the you got to look at the football landscape. You have got to look at the football landscape and decide where you're going. Ultimately, in in England, let's say there's two and a half really opportunities at real success domestically, and there's one depending on the European competition you're in. So there's only mm-hmm. a certain amount of clubs, two or three maximum. You know, you know, or there might you know there might even be. Well, let, well, let's say let's say four maximum. Let's say four English clubs all won the Champions League, the Premier League, the FA Cup, and um, and uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? The Europa League. Say that happened, right? A miracle happened. Mm-hmm. Are Spurs, even with Antonio Conte, the top one of the top four best clubs in this country? No. So it's unlikely they'll be in they'll be in that conversation. So when you define your success by those trophies, by by winning that league and getting yourself up 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 into the position. When you're not ready, you're setting yourself up for failure. You are what needs to happen, and 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 this is a, I think a, a thing we can apply to Arsenal. There's only a certain amount of people who can come up to surface to take that glory and then head back down per year. There's only a few people, and this year it will probably be probably City, Liverpool, and whoever wins the Champions League, whatever it is, and whoever wins the Europa League. There's only a certain amount of, of of clubs who can be successful. So all the other clubs underneath have to be working to put themselves in the best position to come up to can't to, to pop up. Hmm. And Spurs are not doing that. They're not, but by doing they're they're buying they're buying a booster. And that booster is going to push them straight back down if they don't if they don't get to the top. If they're unable to get past Man City within the next two years, which they will not be able to do with their current squad and with the amount of squad turnover they're able to do with the finances they have, what happens to Conte? He's not going to win the league. He's not going to win the FA Cup. He's not going to win the Champions League. He's probably not going to win the Europa League. So by the definitions of success that Spurs have set out for him, he will fail. So what they need to do is set up a project, as as I believe we've done, and get ourselves into a position where, as we've said before, I think Arteta is manoeuvring Arsenal into a modern club, into a club with modern tactics, into a club with modern players, players who fit the current you know current ecosystem of football, a young team, and uh, and updating things off off the pitch as well to manoeuvre ourselves into a position where, for example, if a Tuchel, if a Klopp became available, I hope Arsenal would strike the next top 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 manager who could come in, or we hope that Mikel becomes that. As you say, if they'd got in a Potter, if they got in a fucking Scott Parker. And re and reset and rebuilt the youth. They will be putting themselves in a position long term. They're buying a Lamborghini without a house. It's mental to me. And of course, they're going to look great for a couple of weeks. The Lamborghini is going to be going up and down the road. Everyone will be going, "Wow, look at that lovely Lamborghini with two seats, Conte and Kane." And once those two men leave the club, which they will, and Son, which he will, 
Where are they? Who's coming through? Oliver Skip? <laughs> Fucking Harry Winks is like 28 at this point and people still call him a young player. Like, I, 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 it's, an, it's a nonsensical appointment to me. It's a nonsensical yeah. appointment. And they've done it before. They've done it three times now. What's the point? What's the point in them get on? Honestly, what's the point in them getting in the Champions League? Let's say they get fourth this season. They're not going to win it. They might even not get through the group stage with the talent that they've got. Look at fucking RB Leipzig would tear them apart. You know, there's, there's loads of teams in Europe that would tear them limb from limb. There has to come a point where you accept where you are. They are doing the Socrates method that we went down a few years ago of buying older instant impact players to try and bridge that gap. And we did it for longer and longer and we got further and further away from where we need to be. The same thing is happening. By the end of this appointment, they will be so far away from where they need to be as a club. Another club will take their place. And, and they and won't a, be able to bridge the gap because Harry Kane is a is a once in a once in a hundred year player to come for, through your club. Once in a two hundred year player well, to club. come through your club. Well, yeah, and <laughs> and and make the club what it is. Once he's gone, and Conte goes, where do you go? And Daniel Levy is, is a, has proven that he looks for short-term success. And, you know, if we're looking at, well, what, well, like, honestly, if they didn't have this stadium, they're such an irrelevant club. And also what pisses me off is when, when Conte goes in, he says something like, oh, I want to be protagonists again. From when? When were you protagonists? I don't, I don't, honestly, it feels like they're, they're the first of like the sort of chasing pack, let's say, other than Arsenal. But Arsenal at the time when they did it were, were, were top or the top of their game when they changed the stadium. They feel like the first of the kind of Everton, Leicester, um, West Ham moved, but you know, sort of it's sort of still a similar situation where they have their own big stadium now and they've got the big sponsorship deals and they've got the big manager in and they've gone, we're here and nothing's happened for them. And and that will continue. And then the problem is, as you say, over the next five years, 10 years, Everton will get their new stadium. Leicester will probably get a new stadium. I know Leicester expanding. It's all, it's all going to come crumbling down and I cannot wait, Brad. How hilarious will it be if we are just completely wrong? Completely wrong. Conte stays there for five years. Harry Kane, it, it's discovered that he's actually 22 and uh, they build and can a, run again without cheese for angles. He goes in a cryogenic chamber and somehow <laughs> makes it all work. Uh, yeah, I'm. I look. Spurs might get top four this season. Might happen, but I'm not concerned. It will be irrelevant for them, other than they'll get a little bit of extra money. Yeah, completely. You want long term sustained success. Uh, should we hear the next hot take? Let's go for it. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. My friend. Okay, so my fourth take. This might not be very popular with 
some of the old Arsenal fans. You're old. Mikel Arteta and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are the most overrated coaches in the league and are examples of player bias. Go on. I, I want to... I don't know who rates Arteta and I don't know who rates Oli in the, in the way... It depends It depends the barometer for rating. Um, I think people who think Mikel is a revolutionary massively overrate him and they over, and I, I've always found it a bit strange the kind of connection our fan base seems to have to him he's a uh, oh god let me wait let me see if I can find it I did screenshot it to show to to read it out on an episode once and I don't think I ever did why um, why you're doing that I just uh, I have it I have oh, it go, go, go. Uh, somebody tweeted out I don't get uh, how many people feel the way they do about Mikel and about being desperate for him to succeed he isn't a Arsenal legend. I don't. Um, this guy uh, doesn't find him particularly likable, and I don't either. I don't think he's got a lot of charisma. Uh, he left us for City when we wanted him to coach here. Deleted everything from his Arsenal social media when he left, and this was before the good run. But we've performed below average for most of the time he's been in charge. Um, he's constantly breaking records. Are not good ones, um, and I, I, I kind of agree. I've never felt this weird fan connection that we seem to have to him. It, it is there is a certain fetish. I can't say the word. Can you say it for me? Fetish, fetish, yeah, There you go. Radish um, of former players becoming your manager and. Um, leading you to success. Uh, I, I don't think anyone rates Ollie in the same way. And it depends on what, what kind of class and level you're rating them at. Both of them by proxy are elite in their field because they're managing at Premier League level. Even 20th place in the Premier League is elite because you're literally in the top league in the country, in the most revered league in the world. But I... I wouldn't call them overrated because I wouldn't, I don't know who rates them. I yeah. really don't. Yeah. I think it's really, really difficult. And I, and I think anyone who, who's gone all eggs in a basket on Mikel calling him generational and the best manager to ever live are people that are so afraid to admit that they might have been wrong, that they're throwing everything they can at being right. Yeah. I, 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 I hear that. And I, and I certainly understand how you, how you've reached that perspective. Mine's probably slightly different. I, uh, in terms of my sort of popping up for water narrative, uh, pop, popping up for air narrative from the, from the water, the you've got to ask yourself who is the right type of person from from a, from a from a football executive perspective. You're looking to appoint a coach. Mm-hmm. Who do you want? Who's going to basically gut your squad? Uh, who's going to basically? rebuild to some degree who's going to not be necessarily expected to win the the you know the title every single year but to make progress towards something who do you want who's going to be liked by the fans going to be given time going to be given patience an ex player makes a lot of sense for those kind of rebuild while we wait for the next top manager to come now mm-hmm. there's a, there's a dearth of top managers the top top elite 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 coaches who are you looking at really 
Guardiola, Klopp, too cool. Guardiola, Klopp, too cool. Rogers, I think, maybe gets into the bottom end of that conversation. But really, Conte, uh, Conte, maybe, uh, and maybe, maybe Mourinho five years ago, but probably not anymore. So there's I'd a, say Ten Hag is also at the bottom of that conversation. Yeah, you can't slap up Dortmund four 0 at the Westfalen Stadion and not be part of that conversation. Yeah, and th- and there will be coaches right now who are at that level and just haven't necessarily reached that point with a certain Heat, team. Yeah, yeah. So that's fine. So you've got you've got to look at the landscape and, and go, what does what does a certain club need? An Arsenal need to be slowly moving up the table, slowly rebuilding their structure, slowly slowly building f- uh, for something, getting a young team, getting you know getting positions sorted for the long term, and becoming a solid. Um, challenger before hopefully a top manager takes over or Arteta becomes that person so I think from a football executive perspective play it people like Lampard people like Ole people like it'll probably be Gerard I always nearly call him Gerard <laughs> Steven Gerard uh, probably, probably Gerard after Klopp goes uh, to kind of you know take over that and and, and have a, a bit of a transition period for Liverpool after a period they lay the of success they lay the groundwork Arteta at Arsenal so I see it that way in terms of whether they're overrated, I agree with you. I don't think either of them are rated. But I would say there's a difference between a coach and a manager. And I think Arteta, I've never been concerned about his coaching. I've I've looked at those teams and I've thought there's the print the basic principles he's trying to put in, though not getting them right, though not actually um necessarily implementing them or, or, or we're really seeing them the the change in style and the change in solidity and the change in what i what i would say are basic football principles of playing out from the back positional play of um being able to win the ball higher up the pitch of uh triangles of overloads like all that sort of stuff i didn't see under emery i saw headless chicken football so i see that under arteta and i think he's getting better at implementing that so as on a coaching perspective, I rate Arteta not 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 as good as you know those elite level coaches, but I do rate him as a coach. Oli, I don't see that at all. I've never, I've as I said about Southgate at the beginning, I've never thought, wow, what a great. I've just thought, what a great individual performance from someone like Ronaldo bailing them out. So fine as a manager, I think he's got the keys to the castle, Oli. Like he's got ridiculous amounts of infrastructure and funding that allows him to look better than he is. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think. When you're able to spend that kind of money on a Sancho, on a Ronaldo, on a Varane in one summer, if they had, and this is the thing with United, if they had a proper, proper coach, I think they'd be a, they'd be a real threat. But they have mm-hmm. a project manager really in, and and it's yet we're yet to figure out really what Mikel is. You know, is he has he got that elite blend of management and coaching? I don't know. I think he's working on the management side of things. I I think again, it's like we can't. I'm not speaking in absolutes. He's not the most charismatic person he's not Wenger but I think he's fairly charismatic I think he's got I think he's got some good morals I think he's combining the sort of political side the social side the management side the coaching side fairly well not necessarily elite level yet but maybe shouldn't be expected to be at this stage I think Oli doesn't have from my perspective from what I read and from what I understand about football coaching which obviously I'm not an expert in obviously I don't see how he (laughs) everyone's fallen off their chairs um I don't see how he becomes an elite coach, but he could be, again, a, a decent manager. The things are different. So, I don't know. Mm. He'll also have learned a lot from this United experience. He could go somewhere else and do very, very well. It all depends on how you rate people, doesn't it? Like, Arteta, for example, I don't rate as being able to be in that top, top echelon bracket. I think that by now, we would be seeing things 
that, you know, really would give us the confidence that he would be. Do you think, do you think so? Um, I, I think it's still too early. In his, in his management, in not in his, not in his management of Arsenal. I'm not saying that in his management career, he's 40. You know, he's 39. I kn- I know, but we are seeing younger managers become more of a thing in the way that we're seeing older players become more of a thing. You think of Nagelsmann at Bayern; he's in his mid 30s. It's becoming more of an accessible field to younger people. Um, I think we. It's taking him, taking him a far, far, kind of far, far too long to implement some basics. And I'm still not seeing a real succinct style of play a lot of the time. We're seeing patches and we're seeing the groundwork and we're seeing the like kind of, you know, having somebody break from the back and play those diagonal balls over the top if we get pressed. But it's far too inconsistent right now. And I think if he was in that elite level bracket, we would be seeing more from him. Do you not think a little Maybe bit... Maybe I'm wrong. Do you not think a little bit of that is the USP thing? I.e. the principles of play are there, yes, patchy, but are there, but we don't necessarily have a thing that we are particularly good at yet. But isn't isn't that in your principles? Isn't the thing that you're going to do part of your principles? As in, a principle of of Liverpool was to press and to press high and to press with ridiculous levels of intensity... I think that's that's that that is your USP is almost the thing that your principles are built around that that thing yeah isn't it well it should probably come from your principles I wonder if it will be in a in a personnel thing I don't you know who comes into that front line and sort of completes that yeah and it definitely could be that we do not have the personnel to implement what Mikel considers to be his tactical principle but there's been enough transfer windows and enough dodgy signings at points for me to go, well, we could have had that personnel in. Think of the money that I know we, we come back to it a, while, a lot, but think of the money that was committed to and invested into Willian. Think of the Cedric signing, the fact that we've got four right backs. You know, I I do just think that the fact that we still seem a couple of players away after a couple of years is if we were one player away and we were seeing that USP start to build and go, okay, all we need is a striker. I'd be like, fair enough. But we're, we're, we're still three, four players away. Yes. But I think we were, we were probably eight or nine players away, you know, last summer. So I I, I think, yeah, no, we, we last summer wasn't his first summer. No, true. No, true. Um, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I, yeah, the the jury's out on so much with Arteta. I, I I personally see it that he's building from the back and building building those principles before hopefully adding a USP. But again, I don't know that. That's based on nothing. That's based on pure conjecture. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's have the final hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Okay, and my fifth take. Uh, this is uh, not a directly Arsenal related one. Ah! The Ballon d'Or is now almost a pointless award because it favours massively attacking players. I think the only sort of defensive players that have been won it in the last sort of couple of decades have been Modric, who's arguably a creator, and Cannavaro. I think it doesn't favour players who win trophies over individual efforts. It's so subjective anyway, and 
due to the fact that this year it's sort of between Messi again or comparing them to players like Jorginho or Salah or Lewandowski who have had individually great seasons, it's still a sort of a popularity contest. I wish you guys, I wish you guys had seen Brad's face when he says Jorginho. <laughs> Mate, honestly, the fucking the Ballon d'Or has become the most ridiculous trophy. Whatever your opinion on who is the greatest in the world, whilst for me, whilst Messi is alive and playing football, he wins the Ballon d'Or. Or the the same argument should be had of of I I do not see a world in where Modric just because he dragged. Croatia to the semi-finals should have won the Ballon d'Or. The same with if Jorginho wins the Ballon d'Or this year because he was in teams that did quite well. He wasn't even Chelsea. He wasn't Chelsea's best player. He probably wasn't even the best Italian midfielder at the Euros. And we're genuinely talking about him possibly winning the Ballon d'Or. It is a mockery of what it once stood for and should have been. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I find I find myself like looking at it from a slightly wider angle and going like, "What's the purpose of an individual award in football? Like, what what is what what are we meant to do with that?" I'm not saying that there is no purpose. I'm just saying let's have a look at it. Is it for the best individual season? Is it for a prolonged period of of success? Is it for... Is it for who's performed at the highest level? Yeah. As in who has attained the highest singular level? Exactly, because there could be one player who in League Two was absolutely playing out of his skin for... for, But basically, it's going to be the top level, isn't it? So, yeah, I... it's It's a really hard one. I mean, I generally kind of disagree with individual awards in team sports. I think they're a bit weird because there's so many other factors that go into it. Like in tennis... If you don't turn up, you don't turn up and that's on you. But in football, like mm. Salah could be in a terrible Liverpool team and not be being talked about for the Ballon d'Or. Do you know what I mean? So it's, mm. it's there's so many other factors that go into it. I have a strong feeling that the Ballon d'Or might change fairly soon. I would like to see like really clear, like I, I, I think there's a value in giving an award out for like best individual season or like a, or some kind of um, FIFA men's best you know, 20 uh, calendar year or or, or, yeah, maybe an 11 or whatever. I just think like the best player is such a weird reductive way of, it's it's like the Messi Ronaldo debates, isn't it? Who's the greatest of all time? It's like, well, depends what you're talking. It depends what you want. Like, it's like saying, what's the best car? It's like, what are you on about? Like you can't, how can you define that? Yeah. Because how do you compare what Jan Oblak, who has probably been the best keeper in the world for the last two seasons does for his team compared to what Messi does for his team or Ronaldo exactly. does to, for his team. And then compare the two of them to what Jorginho does for his team. You know, they all do such different things. And is it and is it what he brings to his team or is it specifically what he does in his position? And that and that's it's so it's so subjective and I just think it's it also we're on the, you know, fringes of football really, right? Like we don't know. I'm sure there are so many politics that go into it because Ronaldo and Messi oh, gotcha. clearly really care whether they get the Ballon d'Or. So like, there's a, there's a kind of legacy debate and stuff and, you know, like not to relitigate that debate at all. I don't really want to have it, but like those types of debates do fuel football conversation. And I think Ballon d'Ors do that. I think part of their function is to create conversations like this, really. Like, I, I, I do think so. And they're interesting to have. I just think if we're try if we're gonna have them as the marker of 
You can't have, you can't basically. Who is the best? Yeah, you can't have it both ways. You can't think it's a bit subjective. It's all a bit silly. You can't really say it in a team sport. And then when you're in a debate about someone, be like, well, they got more bell and doors. It's like, well, you've said, like, we all know it's bollocks. So it's just a bit of a weird way of defining something, especially in a team sport. I also think, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I, all the time, but it's a bit of a capitalist like individual individualistic type award thing like i mean as all as all individual awards are if you're the best tennis player that is can be an individual award how can there be an individual award in a team sport it doesn't make sense to me like it doesn't it's like well mm. these, the, the whole point of this sport is one team plays another you could have a manager because that's an individual position a team is not an individual position it's made up of 11 and in fact made up of have, 20, 25 players i think you could have um and maybe this is where the Ballon d'Or needs to kind of evolve to best goalkeeper of the year, the person who's performed at the highest level, best defender of the year, the person that's performed at the highest level, best midfielder and best attacker. Yeah. I think that seems like a natural progression. But even then, as I'm saying that... You have to define best. It's Well, it's not even about defining best because I think that's, that's, that is almost easy to do. The person that's performed at the highest level. At, and then, at what level though? I don't think that you could argue that somebody performing at the highest level of League Two versus somebody performing at the highest level of the Premier League is the same. But if it's the highest level in, of their level, i.e. like, are we saying that if it's an individual... No, it's the, it's in, well, it's the highest level of their level, but even the lowest level of most Premier League footballers is obviously better than the highest level of a League Two right back. Sure, but say for example... But, but, but on to what? But, but just, I do think it's interesting, but... If, for example, you are playing absolutely out of your skin, last season you were on zero goals, one assist, and you then jump up to 20 goals, 25 assists in whatever league it is, surely you've improved, you've had a great individual season. Oh, of course you've had a great individual season, but I think then if you're talking about a League 2 player, you use the logic of you stick them in the championship, the likelihood of them performing to those numbers is is So then it will always be at that, it will always be at like a... It will always be level. at the elite level of sports. There's a reason that um, best tennis player of the year is the person that wins Grand Slams. It's not the person... Because, for example, say, for example, Emma Raducanu didn't win the US Open, got to the final, lost the final. You could give her... You could make the argument that she should win one of the best tennis player of the years or whatever because she improved... Whatever. She improved massively... She performed way above the peak level of expected. But the, the 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 conversation we're having, we're talking about a player performing well above their level, but in a in a level that is well below elite. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I think it's it's worth defining what we mean by do you know what I mean? It's like worth it. so we when we say best we The mean, person that has played at the highest level of their game whilst being in the highest level of sport, I think that's what it has to be. Yeah, because you're talking about because no matter what this this league two pl- like conundrum player that we're talking about, if you were to stick him in the Barcelona team instead of Messi when he was there, there would have been a, or stick him in the Real Madrid team when Ronaldo was there, it, it obviously would have taken a downturn because they're performing at their own level. By definition, their own level is not elite. But sure, but then we're, but then we're adding context. The fourth best league. We're adding context, and that's the problem with individual re- re- awards. It removes context. 
See what I mean? Like, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I necessarily agree no, with but this. this but, but, like, but this is why I'm saying, and, and again, I'm going to try and segue to the next point. Again, it takes away any logic of Reese James is a defender. Reese James does not defend in the same way that Virgil Van Dyke defends. So, what metrics do you define there? I think no matter what conversation we have around this award, there is going to be an absolute litany of speed bumps. There is, there is no way for us to come to a, a complete kind of equal conclusion of what this award should be. I think it's just about taking logical next steps and logical evolutions. And it feels like the next one is to go one for each position, goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, attacker. And then you go, okay, who has performed at the highest level and to their highest level? Fine. And then there'll be another evolution but I don't think there's any way that you could argue that because some League Two player has performed well, they're ever going to be able to challenge for what should be the pinnacle award in football. I think it also, I agree with you, it makes no sense. Have a team of the season. Have a team of the season. Have, okay, who's been the best goalkeeper? Who's been the best right back? Who's been the best two central defenders? I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting the. Yeah, I agree with the 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 team and the the positions. I'm not. I'm just saying if you were defining, if you were defining it by if if FIFA said that this award is given to the person who had the best individual season, removing their team context, removing their level context. Okay, fine. So then we should be looking everywhere. Do you know what, that's my point? And then if we go, no, no, it has to be at the highest level. Okay, that's fine. Then let's do that. But then again, it's like removing. The amount of people who can actually get the award, making it less prestigious. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it, I don't know. It just feels a little bit like, it feels a little bit, wi- again, it, the product, it's, it's all part of the same issue that individual awards mm. in a team sport are strange. So yeah, it's, anyway, maybe we could have a different knock award and hand out every, oh, we, we did. We had did different we? knock awards. Yeah, we did, didn't we? When did we do that? Was it the we end of did. the season? I think it was the end of the season, mainly for Arsenal players. We should do, we should Talk award one to... Worldwide, Jorginho. What would his award be? Most overrated footballer of of the current generation. Yeah, but there could be a guy in League Two, bro. <laughs> Mate, honestly, Jorginho is just granite jacker with a brain. It's all he is. It's kind. Uh, Brad, we have just got time for a little bit of ask the trivia, mate. Ooh. There's no news or views for you lot today. No fucking news or views. You've had the news and views. Uh, 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 this whole episode has been fucking news and views. Last time, I asked you, name two Polish Hayland grads. Uh, Christian Bielik. Yep. And Wojciech Szczesny. Yes, Brad. Your question for next time is, you have to name me eight members of Arsenal's under-23s. I will accept people who can play for the under twenty three. It's like Balogun, fine. Eight. What about people who are out on loan? Who actually, no. Actually, no. I won't accept Balogun. I'll accept. I'll accept uh, people. No. I, I. I will. I'm making this up as I go along, as you can tell. I will accept okay. people who have played for the under twenty threes this season. This season. Yeah. Okay. Fuck. Okay. So it's the current squad. So like Balogun has current played squad. for them, but for example, Smith Rowe hasn't. So he's not. He can't. He can't be. Oh, yeah, of course not. I wouldn't put Smith Rowe in there. <sighs> Pleasure as always. Brad, how are you? Always, mate. I'm good. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, good, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we've got another pod coming on Monday, uh, analysing the Watford game. 
And yeah, should be good. Hope you yeah. enjoy that episode. Did you Thanks, did you enjoy Brad? We win. How are you? It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fuck off. <laughs> Thanks as always for listening. Keep it different, knock. Enjoy the new intro. Outro, sorry. It's literally just mm. the same thing, just with different things added on at the end at the beginning and the end. And we will see you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.